You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. Good morning, church. It's a great day. Uh, Let's start off, uh, before we get into today's message, uh, let's begin with some prayer. Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here, gathered together, opening your word, and I pray that uh, we would be changed because of it, that we would be renewed, refreshed, and restored and that we would mold and shape our lives around your word, that it would reveal in in us the things that needs to change, so that we may decrease and you may increase. I thank you for True Life Church and the people that make it up. We are not 2190 Sarno Road, but we are the heart's and the lives gathered in this room and even some from hospital beds and online around this state and beyond this morning. So God, I pray for today's teaching and would be able to leave again changed for your glory. Amen. As the video does a great job of reminding us every week we are in a series in Acts, and uh, just kind of moving our way uh, chapter by chapter, chunk by chunk, and today we are going to cover a significant portion of Scripture, um, as is something I'm pretty used to doing here, and, and hopefully if you've been with us a bit, you, you know this, uh, sometimes I will unapologetically read whole chapters, uh, and that's coming at you today. Uh, we're we're going to get into it. Um, less of what I need to say, absolutely more of what is already in the book. We're in Acts, uh, last week we're in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and up until this point the, the church has grown, thousands and thousands of people have come along and, and joined and believed, and they're in need of more helpers. There was a, kind of a division between some people um, who were being a little bit left out, uh, the Hellenistic Jews versus the Jews that had been in and around uh, Jerusalem and, and, and spoke all the, the normal language of the time there. And so there's a little bit of division in the widows and those kind of uh, were being left out as any had need. And, and we, we read in Acts chapter 2, obviously, that the, the believers, they all gathered everything together and shared with one another as we are doing here in this church, as Grace had mentioned, that you know, 10% um, goes to meeting needs, sometimes even within our walls, many and most cases beyond our walls. So it's good to, to come together and share everything together, but some people were being left out of that. 
And so they said, well, you know, this 12 apostles, by this point, we're, we're probably feeling a little burdened, you know, um, with, I don't know, at this point, at least eight to 10,000 people um, that they were in charge over. And so they're like, we probably, probably need a little bit of help. So pick some people from among you. And they chose seven uh, Greek, Greek believers Jew, uh, of Jewish uh, heritage. And then they, they were able to address the, the Hellenistic problem there, uh, getting some food and, uh, and aid to the widows and those who, who needed help. And the apostles, again from last week, they decided to keep a priority that we were reminded of. And that was, in their phrasing, according to the word of God here, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's a, that's a strong statement at first glance. You're like, well, aren't we about serving? Well, yes, but we, 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 we took some time and we talked about that. Because Jesus and his disciples, they did not seek out the marginalized. They didn't seek out the less than. They didn't seek out the infirmed. Anyone who was sick was brought to Jesus or brought to the disciples. And so many times Jesus was going from one place to another around the Sea of Galilee. And as he went, people were healed. He didn't set up a tent. He didn't build a... Uh, a missionary opportunity, a giant building, and so we we you know we we reference that against the the social justice push of today, and that in the parable of the Luke uh, chapter ten verse twenty five through thirty seven, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan in this story that Jesus tells, he was on mission, and so we recall that you know the the Good Samaritan when the priest and the Levite passed by the Good Samaritan. Uh, chose to, out of the goodness of his heart, show compassion for the man, put him on his own donkey, and in the story, took him to an inn where he paid for him and, and fixed him up and bandaged him and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go keep doing what I'm going to do, and in a few days I'm going to come back and I'm going to check on him. And if what I've, the money I've given you is not enough, I'll, I'll give you more. And the priest and the Levite did not stop. They may have been on mission, but they did not love their neighbor as themselves. Or, you know, if we take ourselves a little bit deeper into this story, in Leviticus chapter 21, it gives us a, a, simple, a few simple rules of the, the priests, and they were not to be considered unclean by touching uh, a dead body that they weren't related to. And so in this story, they would have understood in the day that a priest or Levite, understanding the man to be dead, and that's why it's uh, very important in the parable that the man was robbed and then beaten and left as dead. So the priest and Levite didn't want to get their hands dirty. What it shows us is that ministry, mission, work, we're going to get our hands dirty doing what we're supposed to be doing. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a resurrection story because the, even in the story that Jesus tells, the man was left as dead. And then was kind of rehabbed back to life. But social justice of today wants to, on the journey of life, see a man on this, in this story on the side of the road and say, well, let's build the hotel around the man. Let's just camp out here and let's flag everyone down and say, look at this, look at this, look at this, and look at what we're doing. Look at what we're doing. Um, and instead, we are called to stay on mission and help people along the journey with keeping the priority the main thing, 
Waiting tables is not a bad thing, but it is not more important than preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. Serving others is good, but it is not more important than staying on mission for the gospel. So we're going to pick up. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to read what we, the main passage from Acts last week because that's going to then just launch us into today's passage so that we are reminded of where, we, where we've come from. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, uh, and follow along together. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. How great that is, some of the priests coming to be believers. Let us pray before we go into our rest of our teaching this morning. Heavenly Father, again, as we open your word, I pray for the, the words that, that I will speak. I pray that they are true and accurate based on your truth. I pray that you use these words, not of mine, but of Stephen even today recorded for us to reach into our hearts The Holy Spirit would convict us and show us that we'd be able to accept loving uh, correction and be encouraged to go out and take that next step to grow in our relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. And you have a seat. So we've read this. Uh, what we talked about last week, again, just to recap and then launch us into where we're going today. Uh, so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 6, and uh, we're going to read uh, a little bit first and through verse 15, and we're going to talk a, a couple of things, and then we're going we're to cover a lot of ground. So to this point, they, we've had seven names, seven men of, of, of good repute, uh, come into what is essentially the office of deacon. All right? So you have the apostles as elders, and then these seven men are now deacons. That's why later in Titus and 1 Timothy, these offices were uh, still established, and we see you know, church, as it grows in number, needs elders and deacons. Currently, our church is just elders. Uh, look around, we're, we're hanging in there. That's all right. There's myself and, and two others right now, and, and I'm thankful for that and those who have come before them. Um, to help get our church where we're in this place. Um, one day, there may be uh, room for, for deacons. We'll, again, we'll, we'll cover that ground later. Um, so anyway, we're moving on. And Stephen is one of those men. Stephen is one of these seven men. 
And we already have the description in verse 5 of chapter 6 that he's full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pick up with the same Stephen now, beginning in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power. So he's full of grace, he's full of power, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he's full of faith, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So we see here again, this, the, the great signs and wonders wasn't limited to only the apostles. It wasn't just the twelve who had any spiritual gifting. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those of Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. They were arguing with him on some of those things. Now, it's important to note right here that these freedmen, if you have a KJV or King James Bible, you may, uh, may read the Libertines, Libertines. Uh, this is the only time that this group, the freedmen, libertines, kind of interchangeable based on the language, but this is the only time that this group is mentioned in, in the whole Bible. Um, so what we do know is that they were, most likely they were either Jews who had been enslaved by the Roman Empire and then released from bondage, or they were people who had been former slaves of the Roman Empire that then converted to Judaism. And so they had a temple there, they had a synagogue, their own little temple uh, in, in there in, in Jerusalem. And so Stephen and these, these freedmen are, are getting into it. And ironically, uh, we're kind of come to this in a bit, just remember the name, the freedmen. Uh, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he, Stephen, was speaking. You ever been in the presence of someone who's like, wow, they're just... They're so on point. Like, I have no argument against that. You know, and to which all the husbands say, well, yeah, I've met one of those. There's no argument, there's no argument against that. And uh, it's just, every once in a while we come across one of those people that are just wise beyond their years, it almost seems like it is a term. Well, this man, Stephen, was that, but the wisdom wasn't his. The wisdom was from God, Right? The Holy Spirit was indwelling his life. He was full of grace and power and faith. A mighty man of God. And this man, spoiler alert, if you don't know the story, and I'm assuming in today, I hope that, that someone doesn't, uh, this man, Stephen, will die. He becomes the first Christian martyr. And that's where the story is going to go. These freedmen could not withstand the wisdom of and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who have said, we, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Does this sound familiar a little bit? Jesus at all, betrayal, having people come up there and bear false witness against him gnashing of teeth and ripping of clothes and things. And they stirred all these people up and elders, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses there who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. 
Now, it's hard to understand, to be honest, what that last part means. Was he glowing? Was he radioactive? What we do know is that clearly, clearly, by visual, uh, by the basis of visual assessment alone, there was something very, very different about Stephen. I've never seen that I know of the face of an angel. I have nothing to compare it to. I'll get brownie points here by saying that my wife is probably a close second. But I don't know. I don't know if any of you have to compare it to. You know, and if we we look at in the book of Revelation, there's a there's a picture there of of seraphim and angels, and I doubt Stephen started popping out eyeballs and wings everywhere. So it probably probably didn't go that direction. That's a Revelation joke. A couple will get it there with me. So anyway, it, it, it probably didn't look like that, but there was something very, very different about Stephen in this moment. And we're going to need to at least stop for a, a brief time and, and recognize that Moses, after his time on the mountain, came down, if you recall, his face was glowing to the point where they're like, cover that thing up, and he had to wear a, a veil every time after meeting in the presence of God. Coming, He would take it off when he went into the, the, the tent, the place of meeting, and then he would put, it on, put the veil back down when he came back out. And people were pretty much freaked out by it. You know, that's a paraphrase of the scripture, but that's, 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 it was weird. It's really weird. They couldn't handle it. And then obviously then we have Jesus at the transfiguration. All right? And so you have Jesus then becoming radiant and looking uh, very glowing. And uh, when Elijah uh, and Moses were there on top of the mountain, and that was the same moment where Peter's like, let's build a house here. And he's like, no, we're, we're, not, we're not staying here, dude. Anyway, so there's a, whenever you are in the presence of God, you should be changed, Right? You should be changed. And this is a tough stopping point on our journey through the text today because our world, our world needs to be changed. Now, fortunately, that weight doesn't hang on us. It's not our job to change the world. I would argue that it is our job to look different, like Stephen, in it. What Jesus do, what Jesus is going to do, it's his kingdom, his world, his universe anyway. So Stephen was looking very different. And the high priest said, against all these accusations, against all these false witnesses, chapter 7, verse 1, are these things so? To which Stephen responded, no. Is that what yours, yours reads? No. Thanks, Mike. No, it... I love this because this is a yes or no question. 
Are, are these things so? Stephen had the choice of, of yes or no. And we're about to go over the next chapter and a half as a very long answer to explain all of that. It's just a great, great level of thinking because when you and I are confronted with being put on the stand, our immediate and usual first reaction is to the defense of ourself. Right? We're, we're being blamed. I want to be vindicated. I want to be proven right. I want to, I want to, whatever. I don't want to be blamed for this. You know, leave me out of this. Cancel culture of today is a great example of that. Oh, oh, just kidding. <laughs> Never mind. Nothing to do with you. Just leave me blameless. Keep me out of all this. And we come to the defense of ourself first. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yes? No? No one's ever been put in a hard spot? Any argument? Anything ever? Like, I didn't do it. You want to be vindicated. No, I'm blameless, guilt-free. And we would say no, or yes, emphatically. Stephen does not say no or yes. Stephen's about to give a speech. How do you know this? Because someone, sometime, a long time ago, put a little heading that said Stephen's speech. There it is. We're about to get into it. Stephen does not come to the defense of himself, he comes to the defense of the gospel. To which, if you recall, Jesus' first message to the people as he was acquiring disciples. Anyone know what Jesus' first message was? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So Stephen is about to get into it. And again, he will become the first Christian martyr. And there's a few different ways that we could study this passage. You could say, well, you know, he was just appointed as a deacon. He's got leadership and responsibility in the church. And now look, oh, here come them spiritual trials. That could be a take. You could say, well... You know, this is an opportunity for, for Stephen, you know, where he's been full of grace and power and wisdom and the spirit and faith. This could be an opportunity for him to prove it where the rubber meets the road. Put your money where your mouth is and other fun phrases, right? Got to prove it. Got to put it to the test. All right, Stephen, you've been doing some signs and wonders. Show us what you really got. Now your life is on the line. That could be a take. This could also be a take of the next uh, chapter and a half or so of us to look into, well, Stephen was then presented with an opportunity. And then, it was called to lay it all down and sacrifice. That could be useful, but maybe it's not today. I just want you to hear Stephen's words to what is essentially a yes or no question. And imagine, if you can, that you are 
back in the day. And imagine that you are in this room and that Stephen is the one on trial and that you are the one trying to convict him. And I priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Twelve sons, which should become the twelve tribes of Israel. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob and his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem. And laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought, had bought for a sum of silver for the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would be, not be kept alive. And at this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughters adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who is wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. 
Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire, in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And this man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who is in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him but thrust him aside. And in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of Prophets, Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. And so it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And at this point, we're going to pause really quickly, because Stephen's not done. What has he done here? Well, he's recounted in about seven minutes the entire history that they all knew. He's telling them something that they, the priests, would have already known. It would have been standard knowledge. Like if I asked you, what year was America founded? One person knows. <laughs> you ever see those, uh, there's like these videos on YouTube and stuff where people are walking the streets asking what should be, what should be very easy questions. Like who is the current president of the United States? Americans should know this answer and yet they don't. You know, how many states are there? I don't know, 42? What? No! No, and these videos make my heart hurt. Right? Because they don't know just basic understanding 
of what's going on and our history of our nation. We've only been around for a blip as far as human history is concerned. But here we are. Hooray, 200 and some odd years of some freedoms, right? A lot of freedoms, a lot of hard times. We're going to come to this. There's a point in what I've just said in just a second. Why recount all the history that they knew? Why go back there? Because he's establishing the groundwork. There was the covenant of circumcision, all right, passed down all the way from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs all the way down. The history of the people living in Egypt, brought out of Egypt. We have Moses, Joshua, into the promised land, David, Solomon, all the kind of major players of, of Israelite history have been laid out here in a few minutes. And if you may be wondering this a little too real today, why is he reading all this? Why is Stephen saying all this? Is he done yet? I mean, this is the longest yes or no question answer I've ever heard. You know, and he's not done. Why is he? Because he's establishing a baseline and understanding that do you agree on this? And they would have said, yes, we understand this. Good, I agree on this too. There's, there's a basic understanding. There's no one standing up and, I think America was founded in 1847. Like, You're probably going to lose that one. All right? No one would have come to a consensus on that. Uh, to this point, and this is why we stopped in the speech right now, to this point, everything that Stephen has said has established a baseline of, of truth, understanding, and a consensus that to this point, no one who's condemning him would disagree with him on. The good news is, Stephen does not stop there. We're going to go on. Here's the shift in verse 51. He's laid the groundwork. He's established the, or reminded them of the, the covenant of circumcision and the history of their people. And now he goes, you stiff-necked people. Well, that took a turn. Here was history, and now we've gone to name-calling. All right. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears. Now that's important. Because this covenant of circumcision, which he intentionally referenced earlier, was to, it was an identifying factor about the people of God. It was something that, that only they did. It was very special. And what he's saying is, is you're, not, you're basically not paying attention. And what you don't know right now is that you think, but you aren't really the people of God. Because why? You always resist the Holy Spirit. And so he's gone back over the history and to remind them not only of where they've come from, but then during that history, their, their forefathers and their fathers were sinful and unrepentant and not ready for the truth. And that then now in that present time, that they were sinful and unrepentant and not ready for the truth. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now, who have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law 
as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Ooh. Some tough words. And again, you might be thinking, these last three verses is a, is a whammy. And we had a lot, a lot of verses. We had, we had 50 verses. And then, and then the last three of, whew, there's some weight behind that. To which they responded, you know what, Stephen, you're absolutely right. Thank you for showing us our folly. We are now a repentant people. You've, you've given us the mirror to look and see. Lord, have mercy. Um, that is not the response. And we're faced with this even today. It's actually applicable just based on what's going on in our nation because we, we are living in a day and age as probably many, if not most, have before that, but we are definitely living in one now to where we are saying as Americans, well, surely we would not have been guilty of the things that our fathers did. Surely, if we had been alive in 1860, no civil war. Surely, surely we would not have owned slaves. Surely we would not have taken land from the Native Americans for his gold that lay in the mountains of the North Georgia hills. The first gold rush, if you don't know about it, look it up. That's my people's 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 history. Um, like one percentage Cherokee. It, my sister, it shows up in her. She's short and brown, brown hair, brown eyes. I, I got the English side of the gene pool. Tall and bald. <laughs> and very white. Surely, if we would have lived then, none of this would have happened. Surely, with our high understanding and the technology that is at our fingertips and the transportation that we have, surely we, we would not be like these other people. And we hear this today. So we tear down the monuments and the markers ashamed at our own history because we are too unrepentant to remember it and learn from it. Surely we would, would not have sinned the way they did. Surely we would not persecute the prophets. If someone came today and prophesied about the righteous one, the Messiah, we would understand it. We would be able to to understand what's going on, and, and, and that's, that's Stephen's whole point. That of all this time, the covenant made with God's people, they, God's people didn't even understand and then persecuted the ones when God said, hey, the righteous one is coming, prophesied Messiah, killed the prophets, and then when the Messiah came, you killed the Messiah. Unfortunately, Jesus was the Messiah, and a grave couldn't hold him. Thanks be to God. And these people, when faced with Stephen's truth, did not react kindly to it. It's like there, there's a phrase, you can't handle the truth. It's from a movie. Tom Cruise is in it, Jack Nicholson. I'm going to read a bit of 
Jesus' words. I'm going to bounce to John chapter 8 before we close in Acts. I'm in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, and keep this in mind, these are the Jews who had believed him, and they're going to pick at him on a whole bunch of different things. And Jesus said to them, If you, are, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, again, think of earlier in Acts, where these accusations against Stephen began was in the temple of the freedmen, people who had formerly been slaves and known slavery, to be enslaved and to work for someone else in chains, and now they were free in name only, because they did not know the truth or receive it. But Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, I know this, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you say, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Demon. Demon man. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are, we greater, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. 
Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. Have you seen Abraham? They're so literal. Like, my, anyway. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. They were going to stone him to death right there. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. There's a great echo here in the words of Jesus as well as in Acts. I hope you see the parallels. Because we see that as Jesus went back through Abraham and the fathers, so did Stephen. Trying to give the truth. And these two, the council, when they heard these things, they were enraged back in Acts chapter 7. And they ground their teeth at him. Like little tiny chihuahuas. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. If you are unaware of what stoning is, it's where they put you on the ground or sometimes even bury you in the ground and they literally throw rocks at you till you die. And they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is Saul of Tarsus. He becomes very important a couple chapters from now. And they were saying, this Saul who looked on and approved that he was the one, he was probably one of the main ones attacking and condemning Stephen. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Familiar again? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is Bible speak for dead. Because many of the writers here, they write asleep, because one day they will come back awake in the Lord. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. As far as the story, as we move through Acts goes, that's where we're going to put a pin in it until next week. However, we have Saul looking over, approving Stephen's execution. And we have him going house to house, ripping men and women out of their homes, finding out if they were followers of the way. 
And from this moment, a great persecution again rose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered. From about this time, any record of the church in Jerusalem pretty much drops off the map. We know the apostles stayed there. We know that these men, save one, were all martyred themselves. Say, well, how is this good? Because as we're going to discover over the next few chapters, this dispersing of the church, the followers, they didn't stop believing, they just left where they were. And it may be a bold but also safe statement to say that without Stephen's death, the church as we know it may be very, very different today. Because out of this dispersing, the, the people became scattered, and what actually happened was they took their faith with them where they went. And so we have churches popping up all over Judea, all over what is now modern-day Turkey, and, 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 and further west towards uh, areas around Greece, and the Roman Empire, and even towards Spain to the point to where we, we like to think that then later Paul and Peter planted most churches. That's actually not accurate. They were able to mentor most churches. Churches were being planted so fast that Paul was playing catch-up duty on his missionary journeys later. It's incredible to think about. Churches were being planted faster than, than Paul could go minister to them. And it comes back to this singular moment of the church being released, set free from the truth because of the truth that Stephen spoke. And God, true to his word, works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we might like to just kind of stop here for a second and be like, oh, boo-hoo, Stephen. But we hear from his last words, he wouldn't have wanted us to think about it that way. Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Paraphrasing Jesus. Behold, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, and the heavens opened. This is a fantastic moment for Stephen. One day, I look forward to meeting this Stephen. My dad's name was Stephen, with a PH as well. And he often referenced this passage. I think, I think anyone who has a, a Bible name kind of likes to go to where they're at. I get a whole book, so whatever, y'all. I'm just kidding. My name's Joshua, if you're unaware. <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> I, get, I get a whole book. Uh, anyway, uh, we, we like kind of thinking of our namesake or whatever. My dad named Stephen, and, and uh, you know, my, my dad died before my boys were born. And this last week... Um, I put my son laying into bed, and uh, he just kind of, out of nowhere, you know, starts asking about my dad. My dad died next Sunday, six years ago. Um, on a Sunday morning, he was praying, getting ready to come to church, and that's where the pancreatic cancer finally, finally ran its course. And... So my son's asking about my dad. Anyone who is lost and loved knows the ups and downs of grief. 
And I'm, I'm holding it together. I'm fine. I'm showing some pictures of my dad. And I'm like, yeah, son, you, you never got a chance to meet him. And in the, uh, in the faith of a child, he says, but I'll meet him in heaven one day. He's looking forward to meeting my Stephen. My Stephen was a man full of faith, wisdom, and I'm thankful for that. It's the people who come before who set the example of what comes after. And Stephen's point was that the people who had come before had not set a good example. Friends, today, let us be setters of a good example. Let us speak the truth in love, even when there is recourse even when it may come at our sacrifice, at great cost, speak the truth and trust in the Lord to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Our world needs truth. And in a Pontius Pilate-like way, they are seeking today, not knowing the answer. Pontius Pilate, if you recall, asked Jesus, what is truth? As he stands in the presence of truth. He phrased the question wrong. He said, what is truth? And if you believe as I do today, the correct question would have been, who is truth? And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Know truth. Know his word. Speak truth. And speak it in love. Let's be tiny little Stevens this week. In the area of our lives in which you have any level of influence, leverage it. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. And God's word is truth. Speak it. Come what may. Paul writes later, what can man, ironically, this Paul writes later, what can man do to me? What's he going to do? Put, put me to death? Oh well. As I'm sure he's recalling the death in which he approved, looking on. Wondering one day if he would receive the glory that the man he put to death had received. Probably waiting and longing and expecting the day near the end as he wrote many of the prison epistles before he was put to death in Rome. Saying, oh, that I might go as Stephen did. Speak the truth. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.